There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the Christmas edition of the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. There are so many great players who played the great game of hockey over the past few decades. Players who made an impact not only on their teammates and the fans, but on the sport itself. On this week's show, we're joined by a former player who's regarded as one of the greatest defensemen in NHL history. Scott Niedemeyer played 18 seasons, over 1,000 games for both New Jersey and, of course, Anaheim. Four-time Stanley Cup champion, five-time NHL All-Star. He won the Norris in 04, uh, won the Conn Smythe in 07. Internationally, Niedemeyer played for Team Canada on many occasions as a member of the rarefied Triple Gold Club, having won the Stanley Cup, the World Championship, and Olympic gold not just once, but twice. And then, of course, he was elected in the Hockey Hall of Fame in November of 2013. We're talking about Scott Niedemeyer. Scott, great to have you on the show. And it's great to talk to you again. I don't think you and I have spoken since you got inducted back in 2013 in the Hall of Fame. That's already been that long. That's that's crazy. Um, yeah, no, it's good to be here and uh, look forward to it. Thank you. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave Crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot from the oven and minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. I remember your induction ceremony back in 2013. You and I got to spend a lot of time together on that weekend. Uh, you also went in with uh, Chelly, uh, Chris Chelios and Brendan Chanhan and Geraldine Heaney. Uh, and something Chelly said really made me laugh. He said, I hated this guy. And I said, why? Because he made everything look so easy. I worked so hard to skate. I worked so hard to do everything. And everything came so easy for Nita Meyer. Did it come that easy for you? You know what? That did follow me around a little bit. And it, uh, you know, as much as it helped me, which it did, at times it was a bit of a curse. Uh, you know, the coach maybe didn't think you were working as hard as you should be or, or things like that. But I was, I was fortunate. I was blessed with some talent to skate and do it efficiently, I guess, was sort of the trick I had up my sleeve and tried to use it to my advantage when I could, for sure. I remember it back in 2013 when you got inducted in the hall. I there's always moments where something stands out and then I go, really? Seriously? And one of the things that stood out to me was your mom actually taught you how to skate. <laughs> Tell us that story. Well, she, she helped teach uh, my brother and I how to skate. She helped uh, the local power skating instructor in Cranbrook when we were young. Uh, she would come out and volunteer sort of as an assistant. Um, my mom grew up skating on, on the farm in Saskatchewan with her brothers and sister. Um, so she probably didn't have a lot of technical skills there, but she definitely could skate. She was a good athlete. Um, she loved to, to be involved in sports. And so she volunteered to come out, be an assistant uh, for the instructor power skating wise. And she was out there with us uh, for sure. So she was in the pond hockey games and things like that when we were young as well. Nice. I like the way that started. That's pretty cool. Uh, we should point out to our audience now this week, you're in Davos, Switzerland for the Spengler cup. How did that come about? I mean, 
I know you've done some work assistant coaching behind the scenes with the, with the Anaheim ducks and stuff. You played with them. Of course, we'll get to that a little later on. And I understand you're doing that right now, but how did Spengler, the, the Spengler cup come about? Yeah. You know what? Uh, I had heard a lot of great things about the event, uh, obviously at, at Christmas and new year's that time of year in the mountains over in Europe and uh, the, the way they put the tournament on in Davos, the host team uh, does a great job. So I, I've heard that it's a great time for families, players, uh, everybody involved. Um, and then, you know, I've kind of been approached a couple times about possibly trying to do it or go over and be part of the, the team or the coaching staff or whatever capacity I could see fit. And uh, this was the year that, that we went for it. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a neat place and um, just something different. It'll be a new experience. Um, I've only been behind the bench uh you know, one time in the NHL in a preseason game. And I really enjoyed that. So this is going to be a high level of hockey for me to be behind the bench and kind of get that, that feeling of competing again. It's going to be a lot of fun. Do you have any butterflies about that? I mean, for a guy who's accomplished all the stuff that you've accomplished on the ice, do you get nervous now being behind the bench, actually telling guys what to do? You know what? I, I'm sure I will a bit, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, it reminds me of a funny story when I was coaching one of my boys a few years ago and I was yelling at the ref, too many men on the ice, too many men. And so one of the kids said, look at that. Or they, they pulled their goalie coach. They're allowed to have six skaters. So, <laughs> you know, coaching is not as easy as it looks, I guess. So I'll, I'll make sure I kind of focus and be prepared. Was your kid on the bench? Was he like burying his face in his gloves? I don't, Dad, I don't know. You're killing me. I don't know where my son was at the time. He wasn't the one that pointed out to me, but I, I had a pretty good laugh after, after that one, for sure. Is your son still playing? Is he still involved in the game? Um, yeah, so our, our youngest three are, um, one's at Arizona state, um, playing hockey there. Unfortunately, he's has an injury. Um, we have an 18 year old playing in the BCHL here in, in British Columbia and our 14 year old still playing as well. So still lots of hockey for sure, which is, which is good. And, uh, you know, more time at the rink. Does that bring a lot of pressure wearing the Niedermeyer name on the back of the Jersey in BC? Cause you're a little bit well-known out there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think more than maybe we know in a way um, I yeah. talk to the boys occasionally and they do remind me that there are things brought up on the ice uh, and I tell them, well, don't worry. They can't, whatever they say about me is fine. I don't, you know, that's all gone and, and passed. Yeah. So um, they've handled it pretty well. I think for the most part. International hockey is nothing new for you, uh, Scott. Obviously, you're. We talk about the fact you're one of the, one of the members, the few members of the Triple Gold Club, winning the Stanley Cup, World Championship, and Olympic gold. You also the won World Junior in '91. You won the Memorial Cup in '92. You won the World Cup in '04. So you're actually a member of the double triple, or would you call it a triple double? Either way, you <laughs> it's won. It's too complicated. Six. It's too it's complicated. Only you. There's only you and Corey Perry that have won those six titles. Does that, does that ever catch up to you mentally? The fact that you've accomplished all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, you know what? I, I just, I like to think I did my part, which I, I think I did, but it's way more than that. I mean, that that's what I've come to realize the more you around the game and you see different situations players are in. Um, I was fortunate to obviously play for team Canada. I mean, being born in Canada, being a Canadian gives you opportunity to have success in hockey. Yeah. But it's harder um, to make obvious. the national team when you're born in Canada, brother. Yeah, but, no, yeah. for sure. And you know, and I, you know, again, worked hard, uh, did what I could to, to make those teams and be part of them. Um, and then in the NHL, the teams I per was part of the organizations were, were well-run lots of great teammates, coaches, same thing in junior hockey when I was in Kamloops, same, same thing. So I, I really feel fortunate, blessed, all, all those words um, when I look back, for sure. 
We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer Scott Niedermeyer. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Uh, Scotty, we'll get to your NHL days in a minute, but first I got to talk about 2010 because that was one of my highlights of my career, and I'm I'm sure it's up there with you. You're from the area. You're from the West Coast, and now the world is coming to your backyard, and you get the chance to play for one of the greatest gatherings uh, of Canadian talent and they hand you the C. What was that like when you found out? How'd you find out you were going to be the captain? And what was that like? I hope I remember the story, right? I, I think Mike Babcock. I'm just going to challenge you on it, brother. You got the C. You can make whatever story <laughs> okay. you want. Whatever I say is how it goes. <laughs> um, that's not how I did that job, but uh, that's not my personality. But um, yeah, I think he just called, um, you know, one day and kind of said, this is what they'd like to do. And um, you know, I didn't really put much thought into it. I just said, yeah, that, that's kind of the approach I tried to take in my career. A lot of the times was, uh, you know, whatever the team needed or whatever was asked, you, you go out and you try and do it as best you can. And um, there's no doubt uh, the pressure was there, all that stuff. Um, I was fortunate that uh, I'd been through a fair bit at that point in my career. Uh, what was I, 36 at the time? Um, you know, been in some Olympics, been in Stanley Cup finals. So I you know, you never get used to it, but I, I was a little more comfortable in those situations than I was maybe the first time around and that, that kind of thing. So I, I can understand why having a guy maybe like me, um, who maybe wasn't the best player on the team, but had been through a lot, was able to uh, sort of take that role and focus on it and let, let our superstars on that team in 2010 just go out and play hockey and, and win us hockey games. So um, I did my best to, to keep us calm, focused. Um, everybody did a great job, all the players and the coaching staff as well, because there, there was a lot of attention. We knew what was expected. Um, you know, it didn't go perfectly, uh, the tournament, and uh, we kind of just had to hang in there, and um, we got rewarded uh, for doing that. What was that like in the room? Because you're in the room with Crosby, Aginla, Pronger, all these other guys got A's, but I don't know what the official count was, but there had to be 10 captains <laughs> ordinarily on their given teams. They're all captains and all of a sudden you're the guy who's trying to bring all that together what was that like when you look around the room like that and you see how much leadership there actually was in that room I mean that's you know that's one of the things for me that's really special about being part of team Canada is you have players like that and everybody gets together like that and there's just I've never seen an issue I've, I've never seen a problem I've never seen anybody have you know a problem by maybe not being a captain being a captain different roles they have and the way they play if they're now on a lower line or different you know responsibilities so that that's pretty cool when you see players like that come together and are willing to do that type of thing for the team for their country um so for me it was quite easy because these guys knew they knew what to do I, I didn't really have to tell anybody anything they they were great leaders in their own right and um, you know, every, anywhere you turned, you had a guy that had some experience and understood what it took to have success. Okay. So I want to talk to you about the winning goal. And I've talked about the winning goal to Jerome McGinley before and Crosby, and we all know Iggy, <laughs> and Iggy gets Crosby the puck, but I was talking to Luongo back in November when he was going into the hall of fame and we were doing the fan forum where players, you remember that, where the, the inductees get to interact with the fans, which is, I think is a great idea where you get to do Q&A. And one of the guys up there is a Luongo fan, stands up and says, what was your favorite save? And Luongo tells this story about a save he made right in front of you that ultimately led to the winning goal. 
you tell me the story from your perspective. I want to see how it compares to what Lou told me. <laughs> the story now is a little more calm and under control because at the moment it was, uh, was not a great thing. I, you know, had given the puck away. Um, I think it was Pavelski maybe, or I'm not even actually sure who it was. Um, you want me to tell you it was Ryan Patolny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I remember I was there. Um, and he, he kind of came in. He had a great opportunity. I think he was surprised. I, I think he yeah. didn't realize how much time he had to come in and make a, maybe a better shot. So, but now what I tell people is that's when you watch overtime hockey, that's sort of the recipe, right? You know, a team yeah. comes down, gets a scoring chance and the other team goes down and puts it in the back of the net. So that was sort of my game plan. Now that I tell people <laughs> all the way along, it was give the other team a chance and then we'll go down and win, win the gold medal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a fine line and that that's what you learn ultimately. Did you really yell at Lou not to cover? Cause he said, he said he made that stop off his shoulder, just off, off your giveaway. He makes the stop. It goes off his shoulder. He's just about to cover it with his trapper. And he said he heard you yell for the puck. Did you yell for it? Um, I, I don't remember that, but uh, it's possible. I mean, I, yeah. I really did enjoy playing the four on four overtime, um, yeah. you know, with sort of my skill set, it, it lent to that brand of hockey. And um, when they kind of put it, I can't even remember when we first started doing that in the NHL, but I, I enjoyed it. I really felt comfortable and, um, you know, skating was sort of my strength. So if, if I felt I had a bit of time, probably did yell at him and, and said, let's go, let's get down the other end and try and try and do something. And I think I picked it up. I remember kind of looking up and Crosby was picking up speed and they were going and there, there's sort of a feel you can kind of get when, when someone's on a, you know, on a mission or got a purpose and it just, I don't know, it looked like he was going for it and up moved the puck up to him, followed the play up. And I had a great view of the goal. I was actually wide open. Um, you know, Sid didn't see me, I guess, but uh, I was sneaking down, the, <laughs> sneaking down the slot. And I, I seen that puck go into the back of the net, hit that pad in the back. And I mean, that was a, you know, such a, such an amazing sight and, and moment for us for sure. So you're in your home. You're, you're just miles away from your home. The go, the puck goes in all the work you get. And like you said, it was not an easy ride at Vancouver 2010, but now it's overtime. You guys have just won. What was the celly like on the ice? And what was that moment like for you? Yeah, I'll never forget it. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we knew what we what our goal was. We, we knew how hard it would be, but we knew we had a good chance. And it was such a great Olympics, I think, for Canada across the board. All the athletes perform well, winning medals, having great performances. Um, you know, the women's team went out, won a gold medal a couple nights yep. prior you know, now it was just at the end and we were in the final and really the only people that could mess it up was, was us. If we didn't uh, find a way to win that game and um, you know, to, to win it and just be part of that event and, and sort of do our part and compete as hard as we could for Canada and win that gold medal at the end of it for, for everybody was, was awesome. And to be in, in BC and Vancouver had plenty of family there and, and people uh, supporting it and just, just overall, the support that Canadians gave all the athletes was amazing. So to be part of that, to finish it off uh, the right way, um, was was perfect. Ultimately, it was fun to be in the building, man. I got to tell you, that was uh, it was unbelievable. Like I was supposed to be, I had been in broadcasting at that point already thirty years, and I'm supposed to be objective and impartial. <laughs> and we're part yeah. of the host broadcaster, and I'm like, all oh, that went out the window. <laughs> we were we were going nuts. Not only in the arena, all over, all over the country, right? I mean, in oh, yeah. downtown Vancouver, but you've seen sites in different cities and flags and all that stuff. So just, just a, a real, yeah, 
proud to be part of that for sure. It, and speak, speak about Canadiana, I was upstairs in the box with Michael J. Fox. We were sitting together when that happened. He was with his mom and stuff. So there you go. I'm going to name drop and tell you awesome. that it was a lot less chaotic where I was, where I was than where <laughs> you were. It was a great time. Absolutely. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave Crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer, four-time Stanley Cup champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist, Scotty Niedemeyer. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Uh, Do you find yourself sometimes wondering what might have been, because things could have been just ever, like the slightest thing could have really changed your destiny. You just talked about, you know, how it almost turned away for a gold medal for Team USA. For me, it's when you came into the NHL, you were the third pick overall. You were going third. You almost ended up in Toronto. You would have been in Toronto had the Leafs not made the deal for Tommy Curvers to make that deal. So rather than you going on a, I got to be careful because Leaf fans watch this a lot, <laughs> rather than going on a sad sack team at that time, yeah, <laughs> you end up on a devil's team that's already stacked and you guys are primed and ready to go. What was that experience like finding out that your rights have been traded, that the number three slot had been traded, and you weren't going to Toronto, and now you were going to New Jersey? What was that like for you? Well, it's more about looking back now, because I think that trade was made, I don't even know, it might have been over a year even, or maybe yeah, it, it, it was before the draft. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't really put a lot to it at the time. Yeah. Um, to be honest, growing up out West, you know, New Jersey, Toronto, it was sort of the same. Didn't to matter. Me. It was, it was, I would eat <laughs> somewhere. fans are just cringing as you say that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, I didn't, I guess what I'm saying is I didn't I know, know what much you're about either, you know? Yeah. Um, so when the draft happened, you know, Toronto had already traded it before the draft and I, off to New Jersey, I went, but I, I was always reminded of that or not always, but most of the times we went back to Toronto. Um, yeah. It was just sort of brought up and um, it was funny actually maybe five or six years ago, I crossed paths with Tom Curvers, who actually yep. was traded for the pick. Yeah. Um, you know, and he kind of came up to me, says, we've never met, but we're connected. Just super nice. Joke. You had never met him up until a couple of years no, ago. No, that's never crazy. I probably played against him a bit. Yeah. I never met him. And we were here. We, our names were sort of linked in, in Toronto yeah. for forever, ultimately. And, um, you know, he came up to me, introduced himself just really in a, in a lighthearted, fun way. And just said, you know, um, and I, so I kind of apologized to him for, you know, kind of creating a story out of this, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those moments. You're right. I mean, everybody's life is full of that, right? Like yeah. there's little moments where you go this way or that way and, and things could change a lot. And, uh, when you look back on it, sometimes it's kind of crazy to wonder what, what if for sure. Were you nervous? Because now you're an offensive minded defenseman, you're stepping in the NHL and you're probably playing, I don't want to hyperbolize this, but probably one of the most defensive-minded coaches in NHL history in Jock Lavera. Yeah, I was, you know, it was defensive-minded systems. <laughs> so I actually was there before Jacques. So yeah. my first year was Tom McVie was our head coach. Yep. 
Um, you know, he was sort of old school in the way he did things. And my first full season there was uh, Herb Brooks, which actually yep. he he loved the way I played. Like he, yeah. I, he, he called me when he got the job in the summer. Speaking of international out. success. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. An American legend coaching for sure. Yeah. And what he did in 1980. And he, he called me and, um, you know, it's funny, the first words he said, and I kind of couldn't figure it out was legs, feed the wolf, legs, feed the wolf. It was quiet. And, uh, and then we started talking and he explained it, you know, as far as hockey, you know, skater, you know, skate and good things you can defend. You can play offense yeah. if you can skate and um, that type of thing. So the first year, it, you know, Herb and he was, we were sort of playing looser hockey and then Jacques got hired and came in and um, he really battened it down the hatches. And um, it wasn't bad at first because we were starting to have success and, um, you know, think about, I think that his first year we made it to the conference final against the Rangers. Mm -hmm. The second year we won a Stanley cup. So it's when you're having that much success, it's even if you're complaining, no one's listening because, you know, ultimately you're doing what, what the team wants, but sort of the years following was probably where I had a little more frustration with the style of play. But I look Mm -hmm. back now again, this type of perspective um, and I'm grateful for, for that challenge for those years of learning sort of how to, play the right way and how to play a way that can help your team have success at both ends of the rink. And um, I don't think I was ready for it when I was 21 or however old I was. And Jacques and Larry Robinson, the assistant coach uh, really helped me out a lot with that and and taught me some valuable things that helped me give, uh, you know, more to the teams I played for and help them have success. It's amazing when I look back on that stretch, because there were teams then from a talent perspective, you could say, okay, these guys' skill set have all this kind of stuff. You guys were a team that that seemed to kind of be ahead of itself, ahead of what we were. Like sometimes people watch what a team does to make them successful and says, okay, if we just emulate that. But you guys were the trendsetters in terms of the style that you had. Like, I don't know. I mean, when I was watching the things unfold, you guys won three cups in nine years. It's not like we looked at, the team and said, these guys are just so much more talented than everybody else, or there's so much more of this than everybody else. You, you, you had great talent, but did you have any sense of the kind of quality and the kind of the ability? I don't want to call it a dynasty because you did win it over a decade, but the ability you guys had to maintain that level of, a, of success. Yeah. I mean, I, you know what, two things, I guess, to sort of tell you my point of view on that would be, we did have a very good system and it was, it was expected. It was expected from Jacques from Lou Lamorello or general manager team first. This is how we do it here. You know, if you don't like it or you don't want to do it, well, then you're not going to fit. Yeah. Um, You know, so that was, that was crystal clear. And then we had a group of guys that bought into that and also were very competitive. You know, were we the highest scoring group? Were we the always on the highlights? No, we weren't. But did we have guys that I really felt confident going into a playoff game, playing alongside or playing with on the ice. Absolutely. I mean, we had guys that were the fiercest competitors, you know, many that the NHL's probably ever seen. And they were on our team, you know, Ken Danico, Scott Stevens, yeah. you know, Marty Berdur with a smile on his face was, was uh, as competitive as anybody, you know, Claude Lemieux, um, you know, he won the Conn Smythe, right? In 95, he won. The- yeah, he was there yeah. and he, you know, he would cross the line sometimes because yeah. he was so competitive. He, he wanted to win at all costs. Um, you know, and the list goes on beyond that as well. So th- those were the two things that really, to me, were our identity in, in New Jersey. Yeah, we weren't, 
we weren't sort of the flashiest team by any means, but we, uh, we knew what we were. Can I stop you there for a sec? Because <laughs> I'm going to recall, you, you say you weren't flashy and you didn't make the highlight reels. I remember one highlight in particular that was pretty freaking spectacular. Well, Ken Danico. Ken Danico didn't make them. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. You guys, you guys are down 2-1 with the wings. I want to say game two. And you start the rush from behind your own net. Are you one of these guys that could remember this moment by moment? Walk us through it. Well, I've seen that. I've seen that <laughs> the highlight a few times, and uh, it is funny. Like I, I didn't even really remember early that I'd lost my stick, and I think it was Sean Burr kind of just let me grab it back rather than throw it in the corner or you know over yeah. the over the glass or whatever, so I couldn't get my stick. But I just remember it kind of opened up in front of me, and uh, you know I got the puck and got ahead of steam, kind of caught some defensemen flat-footed and then a bit of luck where my shot missed. Hold it. One of the defensemen was Paul Coffey. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I played a lot of defense and I know when you're caught flat-footed and the guy's coming full steam ahead, it's not a fun spot to be. So I, I never really beat him. I took a shot. Um, and then with my speed, I was able to kind of go around him and get the rebound off the boards that also kind of tricked the goalie because he was caught out so far. So you know, it was, it was fun, obviously, to score a big goal like that in the Stanley Cup final as a young player is, uh, you know, just extra special, not only to be there and then eventually win it, but to sort of have that moment, too. So um, there were a few of them around, you know, um, those type of things. But really, in New Jersey, it was about the team. It was about the yeah. the 20 guys dressed, the 20 some guys on the team and, and just trying to go out and have success as a team. You ended up sweeping the wings and not only did you sweep them, you talked about Marty. I had Marty on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. He only gave up seven goals in that whole four game series. And I asked him about it and he goes, I couldn't have told you what it was, how many goals were against me. Cause he said he was just so focused, but it's funny that you recall him as always being a smiley guy. Did you know when he was on and when he was going to be almost impossible to stop? Like he was in that series. Uh, you could feel it. I, you know, I, I don't know if you knew before, but you know, when it was happening, you, you could feel it. Um, you know, he, he had confidence. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that some people kind of look at the way we played as a team and, you know, maybe, you know, pass judgment on, on Marty and what he did between the pipes, but you know, he made the saves that he had to make and yeah. it's almost harder, I think in some ways to do that where, you know, maybe we're holding the team to, eight shots on net and he hasn't had one in 10 minutes. And now he's got to make a big save because I've got caught up ice and there's a two on one and he's got to, <laughs> he's got to bail us out. You know, we're only up by one. So, you know, those moments are huge, that type of pressure. And, and uh, you know, he loved it. He loved playing the game. And like I said, he was so competitive as well. And um, he allowed us to play that way. Like he, yeah. he allowed us to maybe give shots from certain areas of the ice. Cause we, we knew he was going to stop him the way he moved the puck you know, he was part of our offense. Um, you know, there might've been some years he wasn't, you know, he was ahead of a couple of our D men on scoring goals. So, <laughs> you know, he, he was a big part of our, you know, team and the way, the reason we could play like that for sure. Yeah. He's Scott Niedermeyer, hockey hall of famer, four-time Stanley cup champion. Uh, this is the seven 11 overtime podcast. I'm Gino Retta. So you win the cup in 1995, the first in franchise history for the devils. You come back and win it again in 2000. And in 2003, it's Niedermeyer against Niedermeyer in the Stanley Cup final. You're up against your brother. As you saw the brackets playing themselves down, at what point did you allow yourself to start thinking, man, I could be facing Robbie in the Cup final here. This could actually happen. 
Yeah, that, that's actually a great way to describe it because it was sort of the slow motion reality. You know, initially we're both in the playoffs and the first round, you're always watching a ton of hockey because you're, you know, you're in the hotel, you, you know, you played the night before there's lots of games on. So they're playing. So I'm, I'm tuned in and, you know, they start to have a little success and, um, I, I think it was Detroit that they upset. So I think we were, everybody was really interested in that series yeah. the first round and Detroit was peppering them. Jagir was making, you know, sort of a rock wall in there. And um, he was awesome that year. Yeah. And then as, as it got closer, we in the conference final, they had beat, uh, I think it was Minnesota quite quickly. Um, and then we had a three, one lead on Ottawa we let that slip away. Uh, Ottawa tied the series. We had to go back to Ottawa for, game seven, which is not a, a fun thing to, or place to be after you've had a three, one lead. So it was kind of weird at that moment. It was kind of like, Oh, this is going to be great. Like if we win this and my Rob's already there with Anaheim and it's one of us is going to win the Stanley cup, you know, this is great. Um, so we went out, um, fortunately had a, had a good game in Ottawa, won that series. Um, and now we realize we're going to be playing against each other. At least I did. I'm sure he did too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, and then it was like, well, all of a sudden you start thinking, it's like, well, one of us is going to lose too. <laughs> so there's kind of that. So it it actually was a little bit difficult, to be honest, yeah. um, you know, playing sure in that series. I, I had been lucky enough to win two. Because at that point Cups. you already had two. Yeah, I had, I had been fortunate because I had won two Stanley Cups. I, my brother had been with Florida when they went to the finals. I went down and watched that yeah. series. They lost to Colorado, and this was his second try at winning a Stanley Cup, and I was on the other side trying to stop him from doing that. So in that sense, that was the last place I wanted to be. Um, yeah. you know. But also, you know, I wanted to perform well. I had to perform well for my team. and um, So it was, it, was, it was a little awkward, to say the least going through that series. And then, um, you know, once obviously that uh, we got a chance to play together four years later and sort of correct that thing, it, yeah. uh, it, it made it that much more special for sure. And no doubt who your mom was cheering for at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, she made it clear and I totally understood, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That made sense. So you win your third Stanley cup there. Uh, then in 04, the 03, 04 season, you win the Norris. Now you become an unrestricted free agent. You had to play against Rob and the Ducks in 03 in the cup final. You get some really good offers. I think I think the number back on free agent frenzy day that year, I think there were we were hearing from your agents that 14 different guys, 14 different teams contacted you guys about what would it take to get Scotty on this team? What would it take number-wise? Was it a bit of a frenzy? Did you hear that, that it was a bit of a frenzy, or did th- those words ever get to you? Um, I mean, I knew there was some interest, but I kind of had some ideas in my head of what was important for me at that point. Um, you know, New Jersey was still a real possibility. We'd I'd had success there. We, our family was kind of starting there. We'd got comfortable. Um, and they gave you a nice offer for more dollars and more yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, Lou made a good offer and, um, you know, and then the, the other things were, you know, I'm from out West. What were the possibilities out here? Um, you know, with my brother, where was he, what was he looking into the future and, and was there an opportunity where maybe we could play together? So how I much think of a factor was it? How much of a factor? Me, how much of a factor was wrong? Yeah, it was a big one. I mean, it was probably the biggest one for sure the, okay. to, to get a chance to play together. You know, he had to be comfortable where he was, um, to want to continue to play there. And then I sort of had to figure out if this worked for me and, and our family. And we had to kind of piece that together on our own a little bit. 
Um, but it, it came together. Um, things in Anaheim were changing, new owners, new general right. manager, new coach. So we put a lot of faith in, in all those people. Um, you know, they had good reputations, obviously Brian Burke and, um, we didn't know the, the ownership Samueli family, but, uh, right. now that we do know them, great people, very supportive, especially in that area of, uh, California. So it worked out probably better than we would have bet on, I guess. Oh <laughs> um, man, you but- guys are, you, you guys are killing it. Cause then you get, it was a couple of years later. I think it was the 06, 07 season. You set the franchise record in, in wins and points as a franchise. Um, you had Pronger on the team. You had all kinds of depth. I mean, as a matter of fact, I think you got you and Pronger were both finalists, right, for the Norris that year. And well, Nick Lipstrom won it, but you guys, two guys off the same team as finalists. That's crazy. Yeah. So we, my first year, we had a we we kind of got things rolling throughout the year and made it to the conference final. Lost to Edmonton, where where Prongs was playing. Yeah. Um. You know, he had asked, I believe, asked for a trade that summer, and again, Brian Burke and Brian Burke fashion went out and uh, you know made the big splash and he gets stuff done when he wants eh? yeah i mean you know we had a lot of confidence after that year getting to the conference final in our group and the players we had and um when you see your team or your gm go out and make a trade like that to bring in uh, one of the best defensemen in the league um we we felt really confident that we had a real good chance to win a stanley cup and 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 believed we could do it so i think that was a huge sort of thing for us to be able to accomplish that that season so you win the cup in 07. You're the captain. You got to see as soon as you show up there. Now, one of the great things we always watch as broadcasters is who gets the cup first from the captain. And there are always great touchy feeling moments. Like this guy has been in the league so many years and has never won a cup or uh, this guy got moved here just nick of time. And he's a big part of it. You get to decide whoever you're going to give the cup to. We all knew exactly where you were going. <laughs> yeah, I had no choice. So, <laughs> we, like that, that was yeah. to watch you hand it to Rob was spectacular yeah. for us to watch. I, what was it like for you to do it? Yeah, I think that was the like, I, I didn't really, I don't think I thought a lot about it. And then when I actually did it, is kind of when it really kind of hit sort of you know, my heart or whatever, you know, like it really realized we did it. Like here he is, he's been chasing this through his career for a long time and, um, you know, wanted a Stanley cup and and now I'm able to hand it to him and just looking in his face and handing the trophy off to him was kind of hard to explain. I mean, it was just one of those moments where there's so much sort of history. I mean, we grew up together. We played road hockey together. We, you know, played on the same team in Cranbrook for minor hockey. We went our separate ways for a long time and, we kind of, um, we had a chance to play together in the world championship in 04. And that was kind of the thing that said, Oh, you know what? Maybe there's a possibility we can do it again. Just like we did when, when we were kids and, uh, it came about and who, you know, who would have guessed that we could have won a Stanley cup together and we were able to pull that off. So I, again, I, I've used the word blessed, fortunate, all that stuff, but I mean, I think for that to be able to happen, like, uh, yeah, I don't think you dare ask for something like that. It's just too much, really. So when you're when you're growing up as a kid, we always talk about the dreams when you're playing ball hockey. I have the dream of lifting the Stanley Cup. I mean, but you did it with the Memorial Cup, you did it with Olympic gold, world championships, four Stanley Cups. Would you ever in your wildest imagination ever believe that you could accomplish the kind of stuff that you had now as you look back on your career? No, I mean, you know. 
if you had asked me to write down things that would happen, <laughs> yeah. I was just hoping to make it to the NHL. You know, getting drafted was, it seemed like more than you could ask for. And then to play your first game and score a first goal and, and all those things. So, you know, I think I said earlier just about recognizing now how fortunate I've been along the journey um, to play with some, some great players, some good teammates, amazing teammates, um, coaches, organizations, all those people, the, st- the staff, on and on. My parents, the, the things they did for us as kids. So yeah. um, I don't know, when, I, when you're in the middle of it, I was very focused. I was very kind of, you know, on, on what I had to do, the preparation, the focus on your job. And, and then when you retire, I've been retired a long time now, you can kind of really look back and really kind of recognize exactly what, what happened. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't have, I couldn't have come up with it for sure. <laughs> You're coaching at the Spengler. Do you want to, do you want to coach more? Do you want to get more involved? I know you're involved with the Ducks as an assistant, but do you want to be back at the behind the bench full time, or potentially even run a bench at some point? You know, the little bit I've done it, um, done a lot with my kids. It's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it does yeah. get you that same kind of competitive feeling that you're in the middle of it. You know, the action's right in front of you. You're right. You know, you're talking to the guys during the game. I mean, that that is a lot of fun. Um, and what I've also come to recognize in the last twelve years is the the commitment that these guys make to do that job yeah. is. It's beyond really what, again, as a player, I recognized, you know, they they were always at the rink. It was kind of just like the Zamboni. It was just there and you pulled into the rink and it was there and you left the rink and it was there. <laughs> the coaches are there working, watching video, um, you know, looking at the next opponent, all those things. And it's a, it's a huge job. So maybe down the road, you know, that, that might be a possibility, but I'm, I'm fortunate now where, you know, that type of thing, I can kind of just, Maybe I'm not tough enough for it, I guess, is, is maybe the bottom line. <laughs> hey, listen, I was talking to Marty a couple of weeks ago on this show, and, and one of the things he said stood out with him was the fact that he got to share all these great moments with his family. And on behalf of all the hockey fans that got to share the journey with you and to celebrate whether it's an Olympic gold or Stanley Cup title or um, world championship, thank you. Thank you for sharing the ride with us and giving us the opportunity to share these moments with you because – They've been incredible, Scotty. They've been absolutely incredible. That, you know, they, like I said, I, they have been. And it's, it's kind of hard to believe when you kind of look back and you list them all out and, and you do all that. But, um, you know, I, I'm the one that I think should be thanking more than, <laughs> more than people watching, the fans. You know, that's what makes it special as much as anything, you know, is just the type of support you get when you're at the rink and the emotions that the fans feel and that they bring and you feel it, you feel it sitting on the bench, you feel it going out on, you know, to your next shift. Uh, you know, they give you a boost when you need it and, and uh, they're a huge part of it. So yeah. I, I don't, no one owes a thank you to me. I went out there and did what I could do. And the fact they were there supporting us felt feels really good for us and for me. So um, no, thank you. Uh, no, thank you needed, but <laughs> Well, we appreciate your time. Thanks for taking the time for this. Good luck at the Spengler Cup. Enjoy it. And Merry Christmas to you and your family, my friend. Same to you, Gino. Thank you. Good speaking with you. That was Hockey Hall of Famer, four-time Stanley Cup champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist, legendary defenseman, Scott Niedemeyer. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website, 
at OvertimePodcast.ca, where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.